and welcome to Reclamation, a Naomi Wright Ministries initiative. I am Naomi, and you are about to listen to an interview I was able to record with TC Cannon back in January. And it's kind of funny listening back to the beginning of this because TC and I were just meeting for the first time, and we had only had a few emails between us and a one thirty-ish minute phone call, and that was it. And so I can tell when I hear my voice that I felt a little bit awkward and uncomfortable because I'm sitting down in the living room of someone new. And though she was incredibly welcoming and in true Southern and Christian hospitality, opened up her home because I was out of from out of town and needed a, a quiet space to record as well as had bottled water and had snacks ready. And even when my husband came to pick me up and came to the door with our son and my toddler decided to run through her house, opening up all her cabinets, looking for snacks and cars, she just smiled and took it in stride. It's funny, though, looking back because... Now, even just a few months later, I have grown so much more in respect and adoration for her as I've gotten the true privilege of getting to know her better. And she has a beautiful heart and so much knowledge to share. And I pray that this interview is going to really open your eyes to the commonalities between some of your experiences and maybe hers, because I find her story to be highly relatable. And I truly believe that her master's in pastoral counseling was simply a bit more information and maybe some refinement because she naturally has a very calming, loving presence. And again, I pray that comes through in this interview and that it serves you well. So without further ado, enjoy. During this interview, the interviewee shared her personal story. Naomi Wright Ministries is not in any position to verify the accuracy of any allegations made and therefore neither endorses nor embraces opinions of its guests as its own. Our goal is to provide the platform for personal stories to be shared in the hopes that they may help others. All right, let's get started. So at the time of your religious abuse experience, you were a member of a mainstream Christian church. Do I have that correct? That's right. It was a a non-denominational church. Okay. And how long had you been attending the church before experiencing any unhealthy behavior? Well, um, so unhealthy behavior, I probably was experiencing a lot longer Mm -hmm. than I was able to actually recognize that behavior. But I was attending the church for 23 years. And um, I would say I always kind of had a feeling that things weren't healthy, Mm -hmm. but I wouldn't be able to really define what that was. Um, And but I would look at myself, you know, Mm -hmm. I would always think I'm the problem, Mm -hmm. which, of course, God can use because, you know, we need to be none of us are perfect. We've got healing and all that to do. But uh, the the um, it became more obvious the, the toxicity and the mm-hmm. unhealthy um, environment toward, you know, the end of my journey there. So um, I guess 20 to 23 years in okay. being a part of that congregation. Wow. So um, so much history. Right. So much history. And what was your involvement with leadership? Were you serving in a leadership role around that time frame that things started to turn? I would. I, I was a part of the women's ministry leadership team for a while, right around then, and mm-hmm. all very involved in teaching Bible studies with the women's ministry. My husband was the children's pastor okay. and an elder, so I was very closely. Um, 
a part of leadership, but not necessarily really working for the church at the time or on any official leadership team. Okay. And I was, I'm thinking back because I watched your YouTube video. And so that's where I have some context Mm -hmm. based on what you shared in that video was it, I believe it was one specific leader, correct? And what was, who kind of created this dynamic that you then experienced? Would you, do you agree with that? Can you elaborate on that a little bit? Yes, I would say that um, the, the main interaction for my husband and myself was with one, the senior leader, mm-hmm. you know, of the congregation. And, but obviously there is a, a system and a dynamic that props up that mm-hmm. behavior and that person's authority. Mm-hmm. So in some ways, I, I would hate to say that he's ultimately the only responsible person for what happened to us. However, he is ultimately the individual that uh, ushered us out, you know, so to speak. Right. That really was the main person we were involved with in our final dealings mm-hmm. that led to our experience of toxicity and abuse, spiritual mm-hmm. abuse. Right. And I, I completely agree with that. I Sometimes when I ask that question, I'm curious to see how the person sees it because it's very common for us to choose one scapegoat, you mm-hmm. know, this one person that we pin it all on. And absolutely, that person can be spearheading it they can be in charge um, and they can be the primary ones that are creating the culture, but it really does take a team to mm-hmm. even allow that culture to perpetuate. Right. So I definitely agree with that perspective. What were the main tenets of the ministry's leadership culture? If you were to list off what was most valued by leadership in terms of culture, what would you say? Right. Well, you know, of course, there's a difference between what is spoken as a value and what is experienced as a value. Absolutely. And so, you know, I think just the unspoken values that I experienced and many, many have is just the value of loyalty mm-hmm. um, that you, you know, don't gossip. There's no division, uh, you know, those things. But, you know, the spoken values are... Um, being a passionate follower of Christ and um, being uh, someone who is repenting and, you know, all the spoken values would, would look great. Mm-hmm. They, they're all aligned with uh, solid biblical truth, but that underlying value of, hum- of, of being humble, being a servant and being loyal, mm-hmm. I think all lean in, you know, fed into the perfect, you know, into my own involvement as mm-hmm. far as always wanting to, you know, not look like I'm trying to be prideful or, you know, I want to be mm-hmm. humble. I want to be teachable. These are all good things, but when they're exploited in a system that is trying to keep you in, in a place, in a, posi- a certain position, then, mm-hmm. and there's a lot of fear, you know, that heavy fear of, I don't want to be the one getting in trouble. Mm-hmm. I don't want to be seen as a gossip. I want to be seen as loyal. Mm-hmm. And you, I know, I mean, I've, I own my own part in all of that as far as just trying to kind of position myself well so that I wasn't seen as someone who would be betraying anybody in leadership or the church or the system, mm-hmm. you know. 
When you speak of loyalty, it's, is it more, um, it sounds like it's more loyalty to one another and loyalty to leadership. Mm -hmm. Was there also a strong loyalty to the Lord or was that more spoken, but not so much practiced or not practices in a, a main concern? I would say that I always believed there was a loyalty to the Lord. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, I was under the impression that we were all really trying to live the book, you know, mm-hmm. follow the Lord. I, so I, in, even though over the years I would see things that were either confusing or disheartening behaviors, maybe from the pulpit, or mm-hmm. I would hear how people were dealt with and I would see unchristlike things. I would see double standards even, you know, here or there. I would see those things. But in my heart, I believed, okay, this is no different than when I fail. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we all need grace. We all need forgiveness. And I truly believed that the leaders, because it wasn't always just the one, but, you know, mainly we'll say the one head leader, when I would see the failure there, I truly believed that his heart was loyalty to the Lord. Mm-hmm. That when it all boiled down to, his quiet time with God or the accountability I assumed he actually had that he would bow the knee. Mm-hmm. So I would say that there was a spoken and unspoken value mm-hmm. of, of loyalty to the Lord that I assumed and discovered wasn't necessarily being practiced in the mm-hmm. way that I thought, because I was thinking the best for all those years, even, and again, like I said, a lot of times when I would see things that I thought were funky or weird, Usually I would come home and then I would feel repentant that I was even thinking that, mm-hmm. you know, or that I must be too needy. I've got, I'm a people pleaser and, you know, I'm, I need their affirmation too much or, you know, I would right. always look at, at myself, but the loyalty thing was, it, I would say yes to the Lord, but the, there was a sense of fear. I had a sense of fear for many years of getting in trouble mm-hmm. and that speaks volumes to me now. Right. At the time, I would just have looked at myself and thought, you must need to repent more. There's something you need to confess. You've got this guilty heart or, you know, whatever. Mm -hmm. But yet I realized now I had, and I actually did go, I called it being sent to the office, quote unquote, I'm going to the office. I had a few run-ins like that over the years where I was actually lectured or, you know, dealt with on Mm -hmm. where I had failed. Mm -hmm. And I understood that feeling and I didn't want that anymore. You just don't want to be on the bad side. Right. Right. And something that I think could be confusing for people is that difference between loyalty and unity, Mm -hmm. because, you know, the epistle speaks so strongly to the issues of disunity in the church from very early on. And it's something that we're called to, we're called to unity. And I think that can very easily be, like I said, confused with, oh, well, I'm being loyal to everyone. Well, Unity doesn't mean that we can't have real conversations with people about issues and about struggles and things that maybe in ways we've been wronged or we've seen people be wronged. There needs to be this proper way of communicating and opening up to one another um, and having those conversations. It's not, there isn't disunity in having a conversation, but absolutely can be considered disloyal to be saying something that is considered negative. Or divisive. Yeah. No, you're being divisive. Mm -hmm. and. You know, that's such a great point. Unity is unity is one of those words that, yes, it's a great thing, but it can also be a bad thing. What are you unifying with? Like, unity in and of itself is kind of this neutral term. It's the object 
that makes it, whether it's positive or negative, what are you unifying with? But yeah, I mean, that's one of those terms that's used and thrown around to look so wonderful and mm-hmm. such this, you know, highly prized thing in order to shame or condemn mm-hmm. anyone that seems to be opposing or speaking against mm-hmm. the the leaders. And yeah, so I, I agree, fully agree. So we've talked around it a little bit. I just wanted to set set some of those background, set some of that background information for listeners. What actually happened? So what about the situation that you lived was unhealthy? Yeah, well, um, you know, there were a series of events that would take a while to really Mm -hmm. unpack, but I'll just kind of give a general Mm storyline. And basically, it just, it comes down to a moment where our pastor, I was a part of a team of people that were actually leading classes and teaching apologetics. And there was a, a lot of favor shown to our group. I don't want to ever say like we weren't ever supported in any way at all because there was good stuff going on all throughout all these years. Mm-hmm. I learned a lot. But I, I was in a position to where I heard that we were having a guest speaker come to our church and I was had studied this particular person and a movement that this leader that was coming was a part of. And I tried to just go give my pastor some information that would say, Hey, I don't know if we want to really get involved in this because it's not the DNA of our, of our church. It's not in line with who I always believed him to be and his um, faithfulness to scripture, et cetera. Well, he listened and it seemed to go well, but my and basically everything that I tried to say was dismissed um, based on other um, counsel he received from others that said, "Oh, you're fine." And but after this speaker came, there was a fallout. There were people who were confused. There were people who left, and it ultimately led to my husband and I being called into a private meeting with my pastor and his wife, and him being very angry with me because he believed I was talking about him behind his back. And um, so he believed that you were a part of why there was this fallout, like that you were spreading things. Okay. That I was a large part of, you know, potentially why people were leaving, why there was confusion. And also just that I was talking about him behind his back. Mm -hmm. Just, just the fact that that was happening in any way at all was Mm -hmm. um, he was, you know, very clear with me that he was incredibly disappointed uh, he said, you know, um, I don't have a problem with, he, he always he would preach that there were three things that would take down a good leader. It would be sex, power, and money. Mm-hmm. And so he looked at my husband and I and said, I don't have a problem with sex and I don't have a problem with money. But when my reputation is at stake, I have a problem with that. And then, and I'm just angry, very disappointed, very shaming. Mm-hmm. Um, and then went on to accuse me of things I didn't do on Facebook or whatever. It was just all of it really just boiled down to his reputation Mm -hmm. was so threatened in his own mind, which is sad to me because any interaction I had with him or was trying to have with him was actually to protect his reputation Mm -hmm. and to protect him. And I was under the true assumption that he would listen to my heart and appreciate that. So when it flipped on me like this, and actually caused him to be so angry at me. And so 
disappointed. And then really what it felt like, all the accusation and then telling me that I'd been wounding people for years and just all these like charges against my heart really Mm -hmm. in the meeting were such, it felt like, you know, being your heart being pummeled with a bat all out of the blue. Just absolutely. So had any of those comments been made before, like when you had been quote unquote called into the office, was it about any issues that were then reflected in that conversation or was all this brand new? Several years prior, I had been called into the office to, and he had said to me, um, you know, TC, what is your problem? People are, I mean, you, people are leaving the church because of you. And I remember at that time, just my stomach dropping Mm -hmm. because I mean, what would, who wants to know that? And I, I asked, Hey, well, who is it? Because what would you want to do? You would want to go make that right. Of course. You would want to go ask for forgiveness. Mm-hmm. Um, but he said, I'm not telling you. And that was a common model mm-hmm. where you would be um, told that you were causing all these problems, wounding all these people. But when you would ask who and you would want to make it right, then there would never be any names given. So you're just kind of left there to writhe in your pain of your mm-hmm. guilt and shame of all the problems you're causing mm-hmm. and with no way to make it right. right. And this meeting was the similar tone, just a lot of accusation, shame, disappointment, Claims that I could never, you know, I've, I've been wounding people for years and uh, which truly wasn't the case. And I knew that in my head. But when you adore or you not adore, but respect and and highly, um, you know, you have this respect for your mm. your pastor that's been your pastor for so many years. There's just something about hearing it come out of his voice, you know, having him say it and pointing a finger and being so disappointed in me. Mm-hmm. And saying that, I'm so disappointed in you. Just other things that were said, being linked to the Jezebel spirit and told, you know, I'm putting you under church discipline right now. And all of it was so, such a shock. My husband was really shocked because he wasn't even a part of much of this. He was just doing his job as the children's pastor. Mm-hmm. So it was really out of the blue for him and just unexpected. And then the meeting kind of took a turn because, um, I have past abuse in my life. Mm-hmm. I've been abused mm-hmm. as a child, sexually abused, and then was in an abusive relationship. So I kind of have a way, which I don't love. I, but looking back, I realize, okay, when I'm in a situation like that where I'm being abused and it, I can feel it mm-hmm. and I know I can't win, I just become real accommodating mm-hmm. to try to get out. Like, okay, I'm just going to say what I need to say, do what I need to do, you know, to get out of this moment. Mm -hmm. And I just, so when he started talking about all the pain he's in and how under attack he is, I was like, I understand and tried to be Mm -hmm. kind. And that's when the temperature kind of changed Mm -hmm. on a dime. And we were, he came to pray and offered us communion and gave me this opportunity to confess more of my sins if I had any, and mm-hmm. it was very confusing. Mm-hmm. I can just say, you know, I, I'm trying to abbreviate some of the story right. because I don't want to drone on and on, but it felt like a part A and a, far, a part B mm-hmm. for me, where part A was like, I'm being beaten with a bat by someone I respect and love. Mm-hmm. And then part B is, hey, come give me a hug. Mm-hmm. That same person saying, mm-hmm. come here, I love you. You know, I love you. And mm-hmm. I since, you know, after the whole thing learned that that is gaslighting. Mm-hmm. Um, after that, um, several months went by where some of my other friends left and 
I just was in the dark night of the soul. I can tell you, I came home from that meeting just so confused and utterly depressed Mm -hmm. in a dark place for, for at least a week, just trying to get up from that. I mean, I didn't know how to move forward. And when I went, my husband and I eventually went back to have another meeting to try to confess that Mm -hmm. with my pastor. I was, I went in, he didn't want to meet with me. First of all, he told my husband, she needs to just get over it. But then when my husband said, please, you know, meet with TC, I went in and just said, I'm so sorry. Of course, there I am being accommodating, but my heart's broken. And when you said this, this and this to me, I I just, I appreciate part B, but like part A left me bloody and I don't know how to move forward from it. Mm -hmm. Basically, the response was, I didn't say any of that. Mm -hmm. In fact, you're the one I'm afraid of, TC. You take everything I say and turn it into something evil. And... It was that moment when I realized, okay, something is really wrong here because Bill was with me again. We had both heard it. And then there was more gaslighting because then it turned on like, I love you. You know how much I love you. But ultimately we were given an ultimatum three times. You either need to trust me. We're never talking about this again, or you guys just need to leave. And that was said in three different ways. Mm-hmm. And knowing the system, knowing what that is where the buck stops, Mm -hmm. like this is the ultimate authority of this church, Mm -hmm. knowing that we can't trust you completely because you've taught us not to do that. Mm -hmm. Um, It's absolutely unbiblical to move forward from here without biblical reconciliation Mm -hmm. and with my heart broken and not be able to talk about it anymore. Right then we are truly left without any option but to obey your ultimatum. And of course, there were more dynamics involved, but ultimately we made that decision. He was very angry about it, totally blamed me, mm-hmm. of course. Um, and my husband knew we needed to move on as well. And we ultimately left without even, I never, I he didn't even say goodbye to me. Mm-hmm. In fact, he told my husband to tell me to leave him alone. <laughs> so after 23 years plus some of, of supporting, believing, support, you know, right. serving with this particular body and, and really underneath this particular man, pastor, my whole journey there ended like that. And it ultimately mm-hmm. was the whole thing was all about his reputation mm-hmm. being um, threatened, mm-hmm. which was ridiculous to me because that was never the intent and any talking about him behind his back that I was doing was all about everything I had come to him personally to share anyway and that was just that heavy-handed you know messaging all along about not talking about people behind their back or or him you know he would say if anyone comes to you saying something about me you know you come and you find out the other side Mm -hmm. but of course, that only applies one way. Right. Right. So, you know, there's a lot of other details, but mm-hmm. the, the general gist of it is um, this. And there, there's where the system comes in. Understanding, because my husband was an elder for so many years, mm-hmm. understanding the full limitations of what they would have been able to do. And even some of them knew um, what was kind of happening along the way. And there's just nothing anybody can do. Mm-hmm. They And so when you're given that ultimatum, which there was never any like taking that back or apologizing mm-hmm. or asking for forgiveness. It was very clear that the, these are our two choices. Mm-hmm. Trust me completely. Don't bring this up ever again or get out. Right. 
And that first one, trust me completely is something that I would never trust coming from a leader (laughs) to begin with. I'm not called to trust my church leadership completely. Right. I'm called to trust in the Lord and his word completely. And people do fail. And when a leader even gives that instruction, I almost want to be like, do you understand what you're saying? Like, Mm -hmm. you're not giving yourself room to be human and to mess up and to need to repent and have forgiveness and reconciliation. You're putting yourself up at a level that I would never want to be at. And and you're not really at that level. So it's just, you're going to fall. Right. And the sad thing too, for me was, like I said, there was all those years, I would see things that that maybe made me sad or Mm -hmm. like, oh, I wish he had said it more lovingly or, you know, from the pulpit or whatever. There were things. And I was always defending him. You know, Mm -hmm. there would be times maybe with a close friend where I'd be honest about my frustrations or whatever. Everybody does that. Mm -hmm. But in public, if there were people that were, oh man, your pastor is really aggressive or da da da, I would make excuses. I would Mm -hmm. defend, you know, he's got a lot going on. You know, he's grieving or, you know, different things going on. I would have his, his back, so to speak. Mm -hmm. And I truly did believe that he is doing what he's teaching. Even though he's failing here and there, he's doing what he's teaching. Mm-hmm. And it was those meetings that showed me he's not doing what he's teaching. In fact, he's requiring of us something that he would never teach publicly. Mm-hmm. He would never say from the pulpit, you need to trust me completely. He, In fact, he taught the opposite. He taught the opposite, you know. Right. He taught not to let your reputation be your God. He taught. Th- so I was just like blown away you don't hear yourself I wanted to say that Mm -hmm. you know and you look back and you think why didn't I say this why didn't I say that Mm -hmm. but even if I had I don't think it would have made a difference but I there were moments looking back I'm thinking do you hear yourself do you hear what you're saying Mm -hmm. right now this isn't even what you have publicly trained any of us to to be Mm -hmm. so there was that weird the platform is one thing, and what's going on behind the scenes mm-hmm. is utterly different. Mm-hmm. And you don't know that until mm-hmm. you're one of the lucky people, <laughs> I say that tongue-in-cheek, mm-hmm. who get to actually sit there and see it with your own eyes. Mm-hmm. And of course, on top of that, anyone that has experienced it is now gone, mm-hmm. and they are the false narrative then turns against them. They're demonized. Mm-hmm. You know, I am considered a heresy hunting, you know. Right whatever and Jezebel Mm -hmm. who just didn't understand him didn't give him enough grace and the narratives that I've heard about myself just are so sad like that is so far from the truth of what happened of what my heart was and um, but everyone will believe it they believe it because Mm -hmm. you're not allowed to come talk to to me Mm -hmm. because that would be gossip and disunity and division right Right, you don't go and hear both sides. The mm-hmm. elders don't do exit interviews, etc. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm so glad that through that experience, even though you were able to see, I don't know if you knew gaslighting at the time, but you were still able to see, okay, I have way too much evidence to believe what he's saying right now. This is wrong, mm-hmm. but I'm so glad you had Bill with you. Yes, me too. Because I don't know if you feel this, but I've had moments where I'm like, I know this, but I still feel crazy mm-hmm. right now. Yes. <laughs> and so having someone else who can, you can bounce that off of is just a huge blessing. Yes. In a scenario I'm very like glad that. Bill was there. There were moments that our memory of details might've not been the same because, mm-hmm. you know, he was so taken 
off guard by all of it. It was my husband is the kind of man that thinks the best of everyone. Mm -hmm. He's an innocent, you know, he Mm -hmm. just never experienced anything like that. I, on the other hand, being the one mainly attacked Mm -hmm. when you're the one who is being attacked, you remember every detail Mm -hmm. you go home and, and I wrote it down and all of that. And so, but, but in general, obviously the big picture, all of that. Yes. We both remembered he was there. It was weird. It was crazy. And so, yes, I'm so thankful that he was there. We talk about that because you do, you, you, you sit and you think, am I nuts? Did I just misunderstand that entire Mm -hmm. scenario? But then you go, no, I didn't. And not only do I have my husband, Mm -hmm. but we had noticed over the years that other elders or pastors or great friends, people Mm -hmm. highly involved, would just suddenly be gone and there would be no explanation given. Or the explanation given was something that led us to think that there was some spiritual failure Mm -hmm. on those people, you know, on the behalf of the people that had left, that they just didn't go far enough with the love of Christ or Mm -hmm. something. You know, you just kind of shook your head and you're like, tisk, tisk, you know, too bad. They, Mm -hmm. well, we always thought they'd be part of the faithful few, you know, and they failed and you just didn't dig. And I, I, you know, I actually went to Bill and I and, you know, to all of those people to ask for forgiveness mm-hmm. because we never came. Mm-hmm. We didn't reach out either. Like I understand why people don't because you don't, there is a value. I guess it's coming to me now. There is, you're considered more spiritually mature if you don't need to go get the information. So the more, the more you stay away from getting the data, the more spiritually mature you are. Mm-hmm. Oh, I don't need to know. Mm -hmm. Oh, aren't you so great? You know, you're so spiritually mature that you don't need to involve yourself in these petty Mm -hmm. issues like people just disappearing from your church. Mm -hmm. And I asked for forgiveness. We asked for forgiveness and we went to hear. Like, I know it's years later, but if you would be willing, I'd love to hear it now. I Mm -hmm. want to know how you are and what happened to you. And every time, such a different story than what was either directly given us or that we were allowed to believe. Sometimes the narratives are not directly given by leadership, but they spin up and the leadership does nothing to correct it. Mm -hmm. So then it's like they're perpetuating it by not correcting the false facts. But all, so that helps me not feel crazy too, is when I've heard all of them explain that their situation was nearly identical. The root cause, Mm -hmm. this one leader, his reputation, you oppose him, you disagree with him in a way that makes him angry and you're Mm -hmm. gone. And there's nobody else that can do anything about it. No one can, no one even hears your side really. Or if they do, there's just nothing they can do about it. And that makes me know I'm not crazy. And also the continuing stories that I keep hearing help me know I'm not crazy. This is, you know, I don't have broken relationships in my life. Mm-hmm. I have my best friend since first grade. Every friend I've ever had in my life is still a friend other than the people that were involved in that place mm-hmm. that, that chose to stay and continue to support the leadership, you know, mm-hmm. part as part of the leadership that have heard my story completely, that were friends that then decided for whatever reason that they were going to continue to just stay. So we obviously, you know, you can't have true relationship mm-hmm. with that when your whole world has been knocked upside down and yet your friend is staying to support the person who did it. You mm-hmm. can't really have a friendship anymore. Right. So I get that. Right. But other than that, I'm like, I don't have a long line of bloody sheep in my wake. This person does. Mm-hmm. And it is so easy to see if 
for the people that want to go find the facts. Mm-hmm. Um, very few people do. Right. It's another huge red flag when we hear leaders or of a culture, spoken or unspoken of a culture where people feel like they're more spiritual, they're more mature. Like you said, if they don't get facts, I mean, this sounds like it only in your situation, correct me if I'm wrong, but it applied to how people viewed one another and what happened with one another. Mm -hmm. But so oftentimes leaders use that in their doctrine too. Yeah. And it's, oh, you don't, you don't really need to go study on your own. Or, um, I talked with someone recently where studying theology was, was bad. You don't need Mm -hmm. to study theology in my group. Mm -hmm. It was just listen to my dad and and you'll know all you need to know. So it just, it can escalate and go in a, even a worse direction because then all of a sudden doctrines being twisted and we have people just blindly following one man. Yeah. Well, that reminds me, uh, they're definitely around that time. There was definitely a turn. You can hear the anti-intellectual bias Mm -hmm. from the pulpit, you know, Mm -hmm. just the disparaging of anyone that wants to study apologetics. That was explicitly said from the pulpit Mm -hmm. Um, to avoid. There was a sermon about avoiding, different types of ears and it was kind of, you know, I don't really understand how, what the main point of it was, but this kind of ear, don't, don't listen to this. Don't listen to that. And then there was one, like, you don't want to listen to these accusatory ears. And then it was explicitly said, these are the heresy hunters, the doctrinal purists. This is the apologetics crowd. And what's really sad about that is that happened when the part of our apologetics team, which I was a part of, were trying to help him. Mm-hmm. And we had just gotten done teaching 10 weeks straight to the middle school, the high school, the young adults and adults, a, a whole series on apologetics that was mm-hmm. just giving people hope. And then right from the pulpit, you just threw it all under the bus. Wow. Because why? Reputation. Mm-hmm. And we were leaving and, you know, some of them were leaving and all of that. So yeah, it's, that anti-intellectual don't, so that it makes the people who are studying and trying to help look like we've lost the, we're quenching the spirit or we're, mm-hmm. we're not as spiritual because mm-hmm. we're just, you know, dry intellectuals and we've right. lost our love and right. all our, of that. Our faith isn't as strong right? because we have to have knowledge as right. well. So we're not just walking Idolizing in blind the faith. Bible or, you know, mm-hmm. all of these things. Right. And it hurts my heart to hear that was also happening. It doesn't surprise me at the same time because it's like the door was opened. It's almost mm-hmm. like this gateway drug and then people just keep going. Right. And because then they, you know, you, they believe it. They, and then, yeah, they just say, Oh, you know, they just take it. But you know, all, all the people that we've talked to saw it with their own eyes. It's sad that you have to be abused or, mm-hmm thrown off the boat you know i have an analogy of like the fact that the captain is able to throw people off the ship in the dark Mm -hmm. of night and nobody can do anything about it Mm -hmm. and unless you are the one thrown off Mm -hmm. it's sad that it takes that but i have i I have a level of mercy for the ignorant and the naive i don't have as much mercy i'll just be honest for the people Mm -hmm. i know are very aware Mm -hmm. and i've seen all the people thrown off and yet stay and perpetuate Mm -hmm. the cycle that's something that the Lord, you know, I, I continually deal with. It's not that I can't forgive. It's just that I don't have a lot of mercy for it mm-hmm. because I see the continual line of broken hearts. And, you know, some people have a hard time. You understand this very well, that when the abuse is 
psychological or emotional or spiritual like this, mm-hmm. and there are no broken bones and there are no bruises, mm-hmm. people often minimize or reject mm-hmm. as some subjective overreaction what mm-hmm. you're trying to explain. Mm-hmm. But when one person can single-handedly remove everything from your life, like your income, your insurance, your community, your ministry, yeah. with because of this one thing, I'm, I'm offended by you, and then you find yourself with this huge gaping hole in your life. Your children mm-hmm. have to leave their friend. You know, it is devastating. Mm-hmm. And so I just feel a, a big heart for the broken. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm so thankful what you're for what you're doing as well. Mm-hmm. Because usually it's the bloody and the broken who have no voice or anyone mm-hmm. standing for them. And the um, one of my favorite therapists and professionals in this field is Dr. Diane Langberg. Mm-hmm. And she has an analogy. She says, it's like the one who just punched you. Mm-hmm. This is what these systems are like. The, you know, there's a guy, the leader punches you, leaves you bloody mm-hmm. and then goes out on the pulpit and starts complaining about how sore his fist is. Right. And everybody gathers around him. Mm-hmm. Poor you, your mm-hmm. fist is so bloody. And those jerks that made you, you know, mm-hmm. like, it's so sad. Yeah. And then the people that are broken are just left for dead outside the, the city mm-hmm. gates. You know, I have all these ways of yeah. describing it, but that's how it feels. Mm-hmm. You're just left for dead mm-hmm. by the people that you thought cared. And mm-hmm. they just, you know, within weeks of going through that, um, within weeks of going through that, completely abandoned mm-hmm. by the people. You know, mm-hmm. there's a few that reach out because they're trying to, I don't know, hear what went on or whatever, right. not many. Uh, and then once you don't toe the line and mm-hmm. once you don't bleed pretty, mm-hmm. that's one thing I noticed is that bloody sheep don't bleed pretty. Mm-hmm. When you've been thrown off the ship in the dark of night and no one's coming, you scream. Mm-hmm. And it may not be polite and it may not look so spiritual and tidy, mm-hmm. but you try it. You know, that's what mm-hmm. I want to say to people that judge you know, Facebook posts or Twitter, you know, tweets or whatever that look kind of bitter or, Mm -hmm. you know, wait until it's you. And then you try to be super tidy with the way you express your pain. Mm -hmm. It isn't always easy. Right. And then these people, you and I included, (laughs) this could have happened to us way too often do not know who Christ is anymore. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And they lose their faith or maybe they hold on to God God, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, the Trinity is okay, but no human being is okay. Right. So I'm not actually going to have any true intimate relationship with any other person. I'm not going to be a regular attendee of a church. I'm certainly never going to volunteer or get involved or become a member or anything like that Mm -hmm. because I walk in and I'm just so distrustful of humanity. And so then I retreat into God, but I've lost a love for his people. Mm-hmm. And that is where the true disservice is done. Yes. You said that so well. I can't tell you how many people I've met with who, even out of the same church, mm-hmm. some not, some, but some right out that I worked alongside, ministered with, who I've heard them say that exact same thing. Mm-hmm. Many people probably all at least have a portion of time where they don't even want to open their Bible. They can't look at their Bible mm-hmm. because their Bible triggers pain. Yes. yes. The, the hypocrisy that they've experienced, 
that is so utterly bewildering. When you have thought everything is this way, and then you discover for the first time by your, that it is so utterly different than mm-hmm. what you had thought and hoped and believed. Mm-hmm. And then it's all mangled up with, with your Bible. And you can't trust yourself, your own judgment. Well, whoa, I thought that was true. And that, you know, there's just so much confusion mm-hmm. as a fruit. Mm-hmm. It can get, range from just simply, I don't want to read my Bible anymore, to I don't want to have anything to do with faith, religion, mm-hmm. Jesus anymore. And I've met people in the middle of that whole spectrum from my same situation, from mm-hmm. the same system I came out of. And my heart breaks because, and that I think is where my righteous anger comes in. It's not so much what I endured. I can forgive mm-hmm. that. God's been so faithful. Mm-hmm. And I'm thankful that my faith actually wasn't actually right. um, shaken Honestly, I think that has a lot to do. I know it has a lot to do with the study that with all my intellectual dryness, you know, Mm -hmm. quote unquote, you know, my studies of apologetics and theology and all of that actually prepared me so well for navigating this absolute life shaking crisis. Mm -hmm. Whereas some people lose their faith. I felt mine bolstered Mm -hmm. because I was able to cling to the things that can't be shaken. Mm -hmm. And it just made me love Jesus all the more. But I see the the effect of how Jesus is blamed. Mm-hmm. And I don't I understand why. I get the confusion. The lines are so blurry between mm-hmm. our spiritual leaders and Jesus themselves mm-hmm. or God. And it is just hard to watch that confusion. It is so tragic to see people walking away from the only hope they have, the real hope, the hope for healing, the hope for eternity, you know, and and just makes me angry that people who are professing to love Christ's body are actually the very ones gutting it Mm -hmm. in his name. Right. And yet we were told this was going to happen. Right. It started again. There's Ecclesiastes. There's nothing new. Yeah, (laughs) Nothing new under the sun. That's right. And it's been going on forever. And so, yes, the point of a a huge crux of this nonprofit organization is to bring light to this again, open the conversation up again, mm-hmm. focus on prevention is really my heartbeat. I I believe that, of course, it's important to help those who are already hurt, mm-hmm. to also help them to not be re-injured by finding themselves back in something else, another unhealthy experience, mm-hmm. to encourage them to recognize those red flags and, and trust their gut and what they're feeling, also to become more intellectually educated to be able to recognize, but also to help equip people, new Christians, um, young people who are young in their faith, whatever age they are, for them to know more about what they're looking for and mm-hmm. what they should be watching out for so that they catch it sooner and they don't wind up bleeding. Awesome. And it's just been too long. Mm-hmm. There's just too many of these stories and they don't, so many don't have happy endings right now. Mm-hmm. Because they haven't had a place that they can turn. Yeah. And I just, um, that's just not acceptable. Right. So I wanted to ask you, if you remember looking back at this specific time frame in your life of when this was happening, when it was all going down, um, for anyone who's familiar with other parts of your story that you've shared through um, book YouTube, I know you've put different things out there in different ways. Mm -hmm. Where were you at 
in other areas of your life, relationally, emotionally, spiritually, where were you at with yourself when this was happening? And where were you at with God when this was happening? And the reason I'm asking is because so oftentimes things just, they overlap on something else Mm. and something triggers something else. And it can, looking back, there are certain times in my life where I'm like, thank goodness that happened when it did because Mm -hmm. I had my feet more under me. Um, There were also times where I'm like, wow, Satan was really involved in that timing because that was just a perfect storm moment for me to get attacked in that way. So I'm just curious where you were at. Yeah, I um, I, I would say, you know, as I mentioned, the, the wonderful thing was that my faith was actually more robust, even leading up because I had I, probably three years prior. Some of the timing on that is fuzzy for me. But two to three years prior to this event, I really began to love God with my mind. Mm -hmm. I just was on fire for the evidence and and learning theology in a new way and also learning how to read my Bible, Mm -hmm. uh, some hermeneutics and things like that. So in that respect, I I had my feet really solidly under me, um, which I think is the reason why it didn't shake my faith. Mm -hmm. And I was and still am continually growing emotionally Mm -hmm. and obviously trying to live a lifestyle like David, where you just daily search my heart, Lord, and show Mm -hmm. me every wicked way or crooked way, different translations say it different in me. Like, and I consider that to be a combination of my wounds, my sins, my areas where I still need sanctification. So of course I was in that place at that time, but, and all of that really revealed even more just my, some places where I can needed continued healing because the level of the devastation of it had a lot to do with how much I had always loved or wanted or needed the affirmation or approval of my leaders mm-hmm. at this church. And then to have it utterly shown me that I was such a disappointment made for, you know, the emotional distress was even greater. Mm-hmm. But um, in general, I would say, you know, not to try to paint some pie in the sky picture of myself, but I would say in general, I was in a good place. I'd gone mm-hmm. through years of healing mm-hmm. and and at least an awareness of emotional wounds, healing, you know, my need for these things, which I think prepared me uh, for to walk through it. That's great. So it wasn't horrible timing. It wasn't in the crux of you working through things. You had already come out the other side. Right. I look back and I, I thank God for his providence, you know, in introducing me to a great friend of mine who turned me on to apologetics mm-hmm. and putting a, a certain new people in my life. I can look back and see um, how God provided for me in advance. Mm-hmm. And even in my first book that I had written, My Big Bottom Blessing, that mm-hmm. book, that book is chronicling a lot of the emotional healing that I had mm-hmm. gone through over years. And of course I continue to learn more and that was written in 2012. So mm-hmm. I've learned and grown on developed that even further in my heart, but I thank God for that. I know it's not the common story. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it hits you when you're already down, mm-hmm. but, but I'm thankful that I was, and my marriage is great. So that helped. Mm-hmm. Um, we had some, some difficult discussions when we weren't seeing things completely while we were going, it was so massively confusing, mm-hmm. confusing, confusing. <laughs> um, but having a great solid marriage and my kids being in a, in a good place, they're not perfect. None of us are, but you know, I just praise God for that. I don't mm-hmm. take that for granted. 
I know that's not the truth for everyone, right. but it is. it was for us. Right. Something that has been just a really, really cool and special practice for me, and I had a therapist at one point recommend it, was going back through my experience, which of course was a very long span of time because I was raised in something, but going back through and pinpointing, okay, where can I recognize God in this story? Mm -hmm. Where can I see his hand? Where can I see, you know, that one person who was just the light in my Mm -hmm. life in that time frame, or different graces in my life of getting into that school and having space Mm -hmm. or even things that were horrible at the time, but I can look back and see how God worked through them mm-hmm. and brought me to where I am now. And it, it was an incredibly powerful practice. Yeah. And oftentimes I think we can look back and just see the bad and be like, God, where were you? And I encourage people to ask that question, to genuinely open up their hearts and ask that question, because right. it's amazing what you'll find when you genuinely ask it. Yeah, I agree. I think I only have one or two more questions about specifically kind of coming out of the group and out of that experience. While you were an active participant in the church, what was your view of God because of your experience as you were going through it? Did you have any confusion of the leader in relation to God or was there a clear split there for you? Again, like I think I'm blessed in that there was a clear split. I, I didn't ever have a moment of confusing God and his love for me mm-hmm. and his affirmation and his purpose mm-hmm. and all that. His My identity was not perfectly, but very securely rooted in Christ. Mm-hmm. And my understanding of my Heavenly Father as my Father and loving me had, mm-hmm. you know, that was secure. Mm-hmm. I could I could separate the actions of this man from from God's actions. It was just so heartbreaking to see that what I had believed was the reality I was in was so different than, you know, like it wasn't that it it didn't really shake what I thought of God. It was just heartbreaking and disappointing in so many other ways. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I, but I see and hear story after story and it's easy to understand why the lines are blurred. Mm -hmm. And people that haven't had a ton of time digging into mm-hmm. trusting God as Father and understanding different woundings in their past would easily think that God was doing this to them mm-hmm. or that God was allowing this to, you know. But yet, I could say God allowed it, but I, that doesn't change the fact that I know He's always good. Right. And I trust that His greater purpose is at play. Right. So I know God allows things, but I also trust in His full character. And someone who doesn't understand that goodness or doesn't mm-hmm. trust in his love going through that, this is why we see people walking away. Mm-hmm. It's massively confusing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, God allowing something doesn't mean he's putting a stamp of approval on it. Right. That's not the same. So moving forward to today, fast forwarding to now, in what ways does this past experience continue to impact you in a negative way today? Is there anything that still lingers that you feel like you struggle with or that comes up? Um, or that came up maybe when you went to a new church? Well, when I, I will say that one of the things that I notice is that I, I feel that I need to really, really, really prove mm-hmm. that I'm not a heresy hunter. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, all these accusations that were thrown at me. Right. Um, when I meet, you know, when I we are in a new church and I've had 
fantastic interaction with my new pastors. I even worked there briefly. Mm-hmm. I've been very honest. I've actually shared this, but I noticed that I feel the need to um, go overboard to say, well, I'm just bringing this because, you know, I, I want to make sure you've read this and I don't want you to think this. And I, you know, mm-hmm. I don't, I feel like I need to explain my mm-hmm. heart right. against these accusations mm-hmm. in certain circumstances, not all the time. Mm-hmm. And I, also, I guess the negative would be that now I have a burden I never had, you know, mm-hmm. and that's a good thing too, mm-hmm. but it weighs on my heart. Like I could cry. I know you could too. Mm-hmm. I mean, the stories that I can think of right now, the, um, the burden that I have for truth mm-hmm. for this whole issue is something that I have to navigate regularly mm-hmm. and I never did before. And, um, I'm constantly praying for wisdom on how to navigate that without coming out guns blazing with my flesh, mm-hmm. you know, like I'd like to some days. And of course, now when you start to speak out on behalf of this issue, people come. Mm-hmm. So this, I don't want, I want them to feel safe with me, but you just have that heaviness. And, but for me, I think it, it's just that constant, um, then it's getting better because I recognize it. And then being in a healthier environment, you learn to, you know, no one's expecting you to, no one sees you that way here. Like mm-hmm. you don't have to make excuses or explain yourself or go overboard to mm-hmm. behave in a way that shows you don't have any agenda. You know, mm-hmm. I don't have an agenda mm-hmm. when I go. I just, my agenda is follow Jesus mm-hmm. and let him work on me for the rest of my life and appeal to his grace and forgiveness when I blow it. That's my mm-hmm. agenda. Right. I want to follow the, the, not the yellow brick road, the, the narrow road. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I don't want to follow the yellow road. I want to follow the narrow road and I want to give the Holy Spirit permission to keep me there, whatever that takes. Mm -hmm. So um, I'm learning to more and more to cut the cords of the opinions of people, you know, needing approval, Mm -hmm. wanting to not, you know, not wanting to fear what someone might think, but yet, so that's a balance, you know, Mm -hmm. it's a balance. Right supporting in a way that shows I don't have an agenda, but Mm -hmm. not letting it rule my day and Mm -hmm. worry about what, Oh, did I say that wrong? Does that make sense? Yes. Yes. Absolutely. Analyze what you said because you don't want to be seen as a Jezebel. Mm -hmm. Like that's something I never really had to think through before. Right. And I could be totally off here. So let me know if I am, that's fine. But I just have to ask because what I hear you talking about is a very common female issue mm-hmm. where we question how we're coming across and was that was received right? Did I say it right? And then if we're really good Christians, we'll also question if we really meant it right and what yeah. was going on in the inside. <laughs> and so we can just really drive ourselves nuts um, with anything that we say. Mm-hmm. And that can happen. That can be something. Oftentimes, though, there are experiences that have created that cycle for us. Mm-hmm. We don't just come about it on our own. You know, I'm, I doubt you noticed that in your three, in your daughter when she was three, that she's naturally doing this. Usually, it's some sort of conditioning. So, and I had that growing up. Women, it was very patriarchal. Women were to just be quiet and do what they were supposed to do and, and not be involved. I'm curious when you look back at your um, spiritual abuse experience. Was the issue predominantly towards the women? I'm just wondering. And maybe it wasn't. Maybe he had equal issues with men and there didn't seem to be 
a distinction, but I'm just wondering. Right. I don't think there was a distinction with regard to um, who could offend him. Okay. Because, like I said, a lot of the elders and pastors that I had talked to that were also victims of mm-hmm. this bullying or toxicity abuse, um, they were men. Got it. It was just anybody leadership. opposing you, anybody mm-hmm. bringing in a, a, a difference that, not every difference, you know, mm-hmm. there's always these lower level inconsequential differences that mm-hmm. might be allowed. Mm-hmm. Okay. You know what? You're right. We don't have to have the carpet red. We can have a blue, you know, mm-hmm. there are these places where there would be an appearance of agreeability or, but if it got to the level of something that would be seen as a true offense mm-hmm. to the reputation, that's when you're gone. It doesn't matter who you are, mm-hmm. female, male, it doesn't matter. So we had gender um, equality going for there, it. But anyway. I will say that the general, the general culture was definitely one that you had to work harder if you're a woman. You did. Mm-hmm. There was not any overt teaching, you know, extrinsic messaging against women. Okay. There were opportunities for women. I'm not mm-hmm. going to say there weren't. There were times when women were applauded and valued for what they had done and affirmed. But you knew if you're a woman, you can't go in you got to work double hard. Your case needs to be solid. Like if I'm going to go in and say I have an opinion or I saw this, I need to have the evidence. It needs to be in line. I need to know what I'm saying. You've got to put your big girl panties on. You can't okay. just go in the door, mm-hmm. which I had done leading up to this. I prayed my guts out. I actually was, I remember the moment I said, Lord, I see this, you know, and my former pastor had preached. If any, you know, my good friends, if they see a booger hanging out of my nose or something along those lines, right. my good friends are going to let me know. Mm-hmm. It was that sermon mm-hmm. that led me to even approach him about him not knowing this guy that he was inviting. Mm-hmm. Because I knew I can't call myself his good friend if I don't go share this with him. How mm-hmm. can I call myself his good friend? Right. And But I had to put on my big girl panties to do it because I already knew the nature of going in, you need to have a good, solid case. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if it's the same for every guy that ever went in, but I know that that's how I felt all all along. Mm -hmm. And, um, and I do think that that is an element. I'm not, I am, I would consider myself probably right on the center, slightly complementarian Mm -hmm. in that debate. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't hold it as an essential doctrine. Mm -hmm. I'm probably just leaning a little bit on the, conservative end on the role of women in leadership mm-hmm. you know i, I mm-hmm. lean a tiny bit but not like it's not an issue i'm not going to lose fellowship with someone who believes that women should are allowed to do mm-hmm. whatever but i will say that i think all of us women in most circumstances feel maybe i shouldn't let me erase that i know i have i shouldn't mm-hmm. say this i know that i have always felt like i need to work harder mm-hmm because I'm a woman, mm-hmm. that my opinion is not valued as logically, you know, like, oh, this is going to be a solid, sound opinion mm-hmm. coming my way from, mm-hmm. from from her. And I, you know, part of that may be my own wounds. I don't know. But mm-hmm. I, and that is something I continue to, to deal with. Yeah. I continue to feel that I need to prove I'm not being an emotional exaggerator. Mm-hmm. I'm not, I'm not exaggerating. I, you know, you just feel like you got to really clarify yeah, your motives, your thoughts, your, mm-hmm. your, your desired result. Your, it's like exhausting. Yeah. Yeah. All these qualifiers before mm-hmm. we say anything. Right. And while I agree, we can't project to every female. Right. I, I, there are probably a lot of females who would resonate with what you just said. Mm-hmm.
Have you found anything positive from this experience as you've had more space between then and now? Absolutely. I I feel free. Mm-hmm. You know, I think I realize even more being out of that culture, how toxic it, toxic it always was. Mm-hmm. So being out, I'm now able to breathe. Right. I can see things more clearly. I'm not confused. I um, So I'm happy. I'm so happy to be free mm-hmm. of, of all the hoops. I, I realized I was always trying to be a good girl, so to speak. Like mm-hmm. I was always trying to, to, to fit the expectation. I don't blame others for what I was always trying to do, but I see that dance in myself, the exhaustion, the, the constant searching of myself, like what's, you know, just throwing myself on the, you know, like, I, I, it's me. I mean, just blaming myself for everything. It was exhausting. So mm-hmm. I'm happy to be free from that culture. Mm-hmm. I'm happy for what I've learned. I'm thankful for um, understanding now what, like, what I will never do again with what kind of a church environment I would um, participate in mm-hmm. and what church I won't go to ever again to have more wisdom. Mm-hmm. I'm thankful to be able to be able to minister to, to hurting people in a new way. Absolutely. I'm thankful that my children have learned through this. We were very honest with our kids. We had to be, there was not going to make a lick of sense if we just suddenly said, Oh, we decided to go to a new church after this many years. Like right. it just wouldn't have made sense. Mm-hmm. Oh, dad's quitting and we're just going to leave. And mm-hmm. you know, no biggie. We had to be so honest with them or it didn't make sense. And they were, our boys, my daughter's was already um, out of the house and our boys were a senior and a junior in high school. Mm-hmm. So they were old enough to understand the actual truth right. and they needed it. Mm-hmm. Um, but we've been able to walk through this as a family and explain what we were learning and why we, we looked at different churches and why we landed where we landed. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that's a blessing because now they won't put their hope in a platform or a mm-hmm. person other that's than powerful. Jesus. They will understand Mm-hmm. that, um, you know, you were talking about your ministry of wanting to help people to um, prevent going through and avoid these. And I feel mm-hmm. like that is something that has been a fruit of our journey with our boys and our Absolutely. daughter and people I talk to. Mm-hmm. You know, people ask me, what, how do you, what should we be looking for mm-hmm. in our next church? And I share, this is what I've learned. I'm not mm-hmm. going to say this is, there's no nuance to this mm-hmm. or, or whatever. But for me, there are some things that have become priorities that I would have never known mm-hmm. should be. Mm-hmm. And that's a blessing. Yeah. I'm so glad you're sharing it. Not everyone does and that's okay, yeah. but thank goodness some people do. Yeah. How has this history shaped you as a professional? I know you have, well, let me make sure I have this right. You have a master's in pastoral counseling. Mm-hmm. Did that come out of this experience or did you have it already? I actually had that already. Okay. And um, that I, I went and did that as a, you know, just out of a desire as a lay person mm-hmm. to be able to um, lend credibility and also knowledge to the ministry that was happening because of the first book I wrote mm-hmm. and wanting to be able to understand, well, the healing that I walked through myself, but then wanting to be better equipped to help others. So mm-hmm. it was always the intention to just be a lay level ministry. I don't mm-hmm. have a professional license and I didn't have enough schooling to do that. Mm-hmm. But that background um, has been even more a blessing. Like sometimes you do things you don't even know full well why God led you to do that right. until later on. You're like, oh, this is actually quite meaningful now. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Lord. I would have not had any idea this was going to happen down the road. Yeah. And now I have that 
um, experience. And I'm building on that in my continued studies. I'm not pursuing another degree right now, although that would be my dream job. Mm-hmm. I, if I could get paid to just keep getting degrees, that would be yeah, so right. much fun. I love learning. <laughs> Instead of paying for them. I'm a yeah. learning geek and mm-hmm. I also am getting older, so I don't retain everything as well as I used to. So I have to keep learning. Mm-hmm. So if I could just get paid to keep doing yeah. that, would be fun. But, um, I do continue to press into being a lifelong learner and that just builds on that initial experience in seminary and that degree. Mm-hmm. And, you know, as you had asked, how's this affecting me professionally in some ways, not at all, because I am not professionally counseling mm-hmm. or doing much, but other ways, as far as ministry goes, which I don't know that I would call that professional more than just miss ministry heart mm-hmm. wanting to serve the body mm-hmm. of Christ, equip others and encourage others. Mm-hmm. But obviously it's redirected my focus and in a way that just this whole arena that I didn't even fully understand Mm -hmm. or know existed. So it's, it has expanded my application of my apologetics and theology that I've studied. Mm -hmm. It has given me more assurance that apologetics and theology is needed. Mm -hmm. When you see how many people leave the faith due directly to abuse in the church, it is hard. It is, it's very sad, but it also, Mm validates my desire to study what I believe and why I believe it mm-hmm. so that I can help others cling to the rock and not let these waves, you know, the wave of abuse, toxicity, when people fail to help give them a solid rock to stand on. It doesn't mean it's not going to hurt. It doesn't mean it's not going to be confusing. We, no one enjoys being betrayed or abused or misled no one loves to see a leader they respect living a double life or being a hypocrite. No one loves that feeling. It's never going to be great. But to be standing on a rock, that that doesn't wipe you out. Or you know that there are others that have been through it, that it didn't wipe them out. Where you can cling to the hope that, hey, if so-and-so survived, I can too. And I, I want to find reasons to continue to hope in Jesus. Mm-hmm. That That is how my heart has been expanded mm-hmm. through this journey. Mm-hmm. And there is so much hope. There is so There's much There's so hope. much hope. Oh my yeah. goodness. And that's part of part of me sitting down with people like you and sharing these stories. There's there's different reasons why I'm doing it. One is to bring attention to what are the commonalities in mm-hmm. these stories, what's happening, what can people glean from that. Um, and for each episode, there's a follow-up episode where I'm taking one thing that came up. Like, for example, I could take Jezebel's spirit and mm-hmm. do a deeper dive on what is that about? What does that mean? What's true about it and what's not true right. about it? So help educate and equip people. Um, but another piece of it is to show people the other side and to encourage them to take that next step forward, mm-hmm. whatever that very next step is, right. take that one. And then we, you know, then there will be another one, but let's mm-hmm. take that one. We've got to get started Yeah, and give them that hope. I love that. If you were to issue your children a warning and now they're, they're bigger, they're, they're adults, they've gone through this with you. So maybe imagine your granddaughter who was just mm-hmm. born. So if you're to issue your brand new granddaughter a warning as she gets older in hopes of her never finding herself in a similar situation What red flag would you want her to be aware of? A red flag. There's so many. Mm -hmm. (laughs) He's trying to narrow it down to one, but what I would want her to be sure of is that the anchor of her faith is not in a person 
other than Jesus. Mm -hmm. And so the red flag would be, you know, there are multiple red flags. When our faith is now being anchored in anything other than Jesus and the truth of his his identity and his purpose and his power as revealed through the inerrant word of God, Mm -hmm. um, there are multiple red flags that we're doing that. Mm -hmm. And that is when we become too dependent on someone's affirmation, that we are compromising on little things. Mm-hmm. I think, I don't know. It's hard for me to put it, you know, one red flag. Mm-hmm. I just think that would be my heart. And that is my heart mm-hmm. is to help her know what she believes and why she believes it. Mm-hmm. So that when anything looks different than that, mm-hmm. well, she'll be able to actually see that it is a red flag. Right. Cause I think a lot of us see these things mm-hmm. for years and don't know it's a red flag mm-hmm. because we haven't seen the truth mm-hmm. in order to compare it. Um, even like Jezebel spirit teachings and things like that. Mm-hmm. People listen to that and they think it's, it's great. Well, because they don't know the truth about that. You know, mm-hmm. they haven't studied doctrine or theology enough to be able to say, I think that's a misapplication of an old Testament mm-hmm. story. <laughs> that mm-hmm. doesn't have really anything to do with. Yes. Jezebel you know, had like, a whole other thing going on. Well, yeah. that. Anyone I've heard where it's been referenced to them, they don't have really anything in common. Right. This isn't about someone. Right. Let's talk about what Jezebel really did and and who who she was. was. She was a leader, not just a person that was trying to express an opinion. Right. There's so much wrong with that teaching, but it's a heavy-handed teaching that's often It is, and I got it too. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so it's like, I guess the red flags will just develop over time as you you understand truth so that you can understand what a counterfeit is. Mm Mm-hmm. You can see the counterfeit mm-hmm. and your anchor is never in anything more. Your hope, your anchor, your joy, your, it's not dependent on a platform or a person. It's your time with the Lord mm-hmm. and, yeah. you know, his self, your relationship with him. I love that answer. Thank and you. it's true. And that's where, <laughs> yes. And that's where the, the work you're doing and the other mamas are doing with mama bear apologetics. It's huge because it's equipping moms and dads to raise up the next generation differently mm-hmm. so that they are able to recognize that counterfeit. Otherwise we're, we're constantly trying to catch up We're like, mm-hmm. okay, they're already an adult. They're already out finding their own community and we're trying to now catch them up or they've already wound up in something and now we're trying to help them heal. But there's so much work that can be done starting at Mm -hmm. such a young age. Right. And I'm going to link information for Mama Bear Apologetics, certainly for them to find that. Um, It's a great resource. I highly recommend it. I wish I had had it when my kids were younger, but there is hope. Mm -hmm. You know, I didn't teach my children any apologetic. My oldest daughter didn't really get any of it because Mm -hmm. I didn't know it, but she was Mm -hmm. already out of the house. Mm -hmm. But I was able to share with her Mm -hmm. um, as I learned. And and she's, her faith is strong. Mm -hmm. But my younger boys were in high school before I learned anything about apologetics. Mm -hmm. And it was, it still has born fruit in their hearts. Mm -hmm. So I want to encourage moms that maybe their kids are older. It's not too late. Right. And really the best thing we can do for our kids is live an authentic life before the Lord, Mm -hmm. which is like walking in humility with our own failures. And, oh, I just learned this and I was wrong about that. And I Mm -hmm. used to believe this and I used to encourage you to do this. And now Mm -hmm. I'm realizing I was wrong and let's take a look at it. I mean, just live truthfully, humbly before them. Mm -hmm. That's one of the best things we can do. And that way they see something authentic, even when they don't, when they run into that hypocrisy 
We're not seeing it in their own house. Right. We have to do that because mm-hmm. otherwise we would never do anything. <laughs> right. We'd never get started. Yeah. And I feel that with creating and building and it's, oh, well, I could go back and I could do that or I could change that or, oh, I just learned this new information from that right, person. Exactly. And it's like, you know, you could just never get started and that can be a trap in and of itself. So right. yes, let's, let's start moving. Yeah. And, and we God can correct it as we go. The love that he, he understands. I look back at the different ignorant seasons of my life and I say ignorant in the fact of not of just that I didn't know, mm-hmm. you know, ignorance is just not having knowledge of something. Mm-hmm. And I look at those seasons where I didn't have knowledge of how to read my Bible, maybe faithfully as well as I can now. And I'm always learning on that, but, or I didn't have knowledge of the essential doctrines or this mm-hmm. or that. Um, but my heart has been truly after him, mm-hmm. you know, and I've always wanted him to win in any moment of doubt, in any, you know, and I love how he carries us through even those seasons when we didn't know, and maybe we even taught something utterly heretical, which I have done. I look back and I'm like, oh my gosh, I taught that because that was all I knew at the time. My heart was meant it, but I was teaching it with fervor, you know? And then you know that God loves those, those children or whomever even more than you do. And he's going to work it out. It's going to be fine. And he's such a redeemer. He Mm -hmm. is such a, a redeemer and a restorer and, he just really does take care of his own. So mm. there's the piece of that. Yeah. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thank, thank you for having this conversation with me. And thanks for being so vulnerable about your situ- your story and your experiences. Yeah. I it it is giving it's giving new life to people. Well, thank you for the opportunity to share and I love getting to know what you're doing and your story and I'm just gonna be you know, we're linked arms, you know, we're sisters in Christ and linked in this burden and this, this ministry. So I'm praying for you and your, your listeners and people that will um, learn of your resources and just, you know, thankful. Thank you for listening to this production of Naomi Wright Ministries. You can learn more about us by visiting NaomiWrightMinistries.com. Please note that any opinions represented by this ministry are not to be mistaken as medical or professional counseling advice or services. Employees, volunteers, representatives, guests of Naomi Wright Ministries may be individually trained, authorized, or licensed to provide professional counseling, psychological treatment, or psychological diagnoses. What you are listening to or viewing is not the provision of any such services. None of the interviews represented here creates a counselor-counselee relationship.